Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to finish out the chapter this morning. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I also want to welcome the venue service meeting right down the hall and uh, Reach Church DeSoto. We're grateful uh, for each and every one of you. Just so you know, we're making great uh, progress in Paola, and we're hopeful that uh, later this year we'll launch out that campus uh, officially. Um, we're nearing the end of construction. Uh, we have a, a campus pastor. Uh, many of you know Darren Oglesby. You'll be hearing more from Darren in the days to come, but we're excited about that work. Be praying for us. Also, I want to let you know of something we're going to start up this week. Just as I was um, praying through uh, God's Word, we uh, have a group of young men that I meet with on Wednesday nights, and we've been studying the minor prophets. And so this past week, we were looking at Zephaniah, and uh, just a great time in God's Word, a pre-exilic prophet, and just a great book, very practical. But I got into chapter 2, and and God is warning the nation that destruction is coming, the Babylonians are coming, it's going to be a bad day. But at the beginning of chapter 2, he tells the nation, gather yourselves, assemble together. Uh, he says, humble yourselves, seek righteousness before the decree takes place. And maybe, he says, and maybe, maybe I'll hide some of you from my wrath. Uh, Zephaniah's name means hidden by God. And he says, maybe I'll Zephaniah you, maybe I'll hide you. Um, but it just prompted my heart just to, in, in recent days, how, how can we um, be in step with God? And, uh, and so just reading that, just one of those moments where God gave some clear direction. We're, we're going to have a time of prayer here at the church on Thursdays from about 12, 10, 12, 15 to about 12, 50. Um, I know not everybody's able to be here. That's okay. But for those of you that can come, schedules may prohibit you from coming. But if you can, on, on Thursdays leading up to Easter, we're going to just see how it goes. We're going to gather right here in this room beginning this Thursday. Uh, we'll start a little after 12. Give some people time if, they, if you get lunch at noon. And, and then we'll let you out early if you get back. And if you can't come, just find a time to, to pray. Find a time. When was the last time you got alone with nothing but God's word and you just prayed for about 45 minutes? Um, if we want to see God do something great, we, we know, just like Israel, we know a day of wrath is coming. Amen? A day of judgment is coming. And uh, we need to pray that that God will move in our generation. So just want to put that out there. Anybody that's able, right here in this room, come join me Thursday. Uh, we'll do that for the, the Thursdays leading up to Easter. Well, this morning, uh, 1 Samuel uh, 16, you'll remember that uh, as we kind of catch up to speed here, uh, Saul has uh, rejected the Lord. He has disobeyed the Lord. Uh, on numerous occasions, and, and God has now rejected him, not, not rejected him from the possibility of salvation and redemption. I still believe there remains that possibility, although I don't believe we'll see it in Saul's life. I don't think we're going to see repentance. I don't see, think we're going to see that. We certainly don't see perseverance in his life, but, but I think the option is there. The possibility is out there if he'd turn in repentance and faith, but, but God has rejected him from being king over the nation. In other words, God can't let a man lead who won't obey him. And Saul now has on numerous occasions, and God says the, 
the nation, this kingdom's been torn from you. It's going to be given to a neighbor who's better than you. And the thought is, who is this neighbor? Who will this person be? And you'll remember at the end of 15, Samuel's grieved. He's grieved over uh, Saul's condition and the nation's condition. And they got no godly leadership. And he's grieved over a man he loves who's, who's rejected the Lord. And, and then in 16, we picked up last week, he's still grieving. And God says, how long are you going to grieve? Let's move forward. This may have taken you by surprise, but it didn't take me by surprise. I knew all this. I'm sovereign over it. I'm working. I got a good plan. Go down to, to Bethlehem, and you're going to go to Jesse's house, and I'm going to anoint a king. And he goes down there, and you'll remember he gets there, and he sees Eliab, and then maybe this is the one. The eldest son kind of comes out. This is the one. And God says, he's not the one. And God says, you can't judge on the basis of appearance. You can't look at it. You can't make the choice on the basis of what you see with your eyes. If there's one thing, I tell you, the more I study these things, I think if I had more time to study, it'd get better. But <laughs> at some point, I just got to preach it. But, the, I, you know, you, the, the more you study these things, the more you begin to see the clarity of the principles. But, man, this week, as I was reminded, and we're going to see it in our text this morning. You know what God, God is saying to Samuel? The question you need to be asking is not what do you see with your eyes, but what do you hear me saying to you? The picture here is, and it, it, it was true for, for Saul, because Saul lived on the basis of what he could see and not what God had said. And God is telling Samuel, when it comes to choosing my king, you can't go off what you see, you've gotta go off what I say. And what we see is David is king because God designates him. Not because of any physical appearance, not because of any attribute or personality or, or, or talent, just because of God's sovereign grace and God's going to give him a new heart. David's not perfect, but God is going to reach into his life and God is going to raise him up. And so you'll remember, he goes through all the boys and you got any others? Did I get this right? Was it Jesse's house? What, did I come to the wrong house? No, there's one. We didn't even think about him. He was not a likely candidate. But there's one more, and God says this is the one. And I want us to look again this morning, but I think we're going to see, if this is a powerful picture, you're going to see the spirit departing Saul. It's sad, folks. It ought to cause, just like Samuel, it ought to cause our hearts to grieve. This is not a path you want to go down. And then we're going to see another man. And we're going to see the Spirit descend upon him. And we're going to see God raise him up as he humbles himself. You know, the, the beauty of David is he gives us a glimpse of Jesus. What makes David so beautiful is he points us to Christ. And God is going to show us in this Old Testament king, this is the way to greatness. And he's going to create a door frame that only Christ can enter through. Let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this passage. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word this morning. God, I pray that I wouldn't muddy the water. I'm reminded this morning that your word says, Jesus, you said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, I, I just know that if anything of eternal significance is going to occur here today, it'll be because you have spoken in your word and by your spirit, and it has taken root into our hearts. And so, God, I pray 
this morning. Make your word alive by your spirit. Bless your holy word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Lord, speak to us by means of your word and draw us closer to yourself. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, they wandered in here. They don't even know maybe why they're here. Somebody might be here that doesn't even want to be here. But God, you love them. I pray that by your grace, you'd reach into their heart and you'd open their eyes to the beauty of Jesus today. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, look with me. We're going to look back in verse 13. Before we jump into verse 14, just to recap, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Holy Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So here he is, kind of a private anointing. He's just there with his brothers. It reminded me of uh, Joseph with, with his brothers and, and uh, you know, what God was doing in Joseph's life. And it caused envy and jealousy in his brother's life. And we're going to see a little bit in, that, in, the, in David's brother as he moves forward. But, but, but what a picture here, the least likely candidate. And I, I wonder to some extent what the brothers thought about all this. But David is, is God's choice. It's, it's a reminder. Listen, as we, we work through in God's economy, in salvation history, remind yourself of this. God reserves the right to choose. Uh, we, we've already seen this when we studied Genesis. Uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. And God declares, the older will serve the younger that I'm going to choose this one. When it, when it came to the sons of Israel, you remember God passes over Ruby and, uh, Reuben and Simeon and says the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. This is the one. And God comes into this family and says, this is the one. And Samuel anoints him and the spirit rushes upon him. This is the spirit of God. This is the, the Spirit of God working in the Old Testament. We see the Spirit of God, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Spirit is working throughout the Old Testament, beginning in creation, and we see him working in the midst of the leaders that God raises up, and God, by his Spirit, enables men like Abraham to be men of faith and Moses. And now we've seen it with Samuel. And here again we'll see it with David. And there'll be a difference in David. Um, because it says here, I think it's important that it says it came mightily upon David from that day forward. And that's important distinction. Because what we see in uh, Samuel is that the spirit of uh, in Saul, the Holy Spirit of God comes upon him intermittently. Start and stop. But with David, God will move upon him not just for the enabling power and not just for the authority of the office, but the Spirit will move in his life in redemption and the Spirit of God will mark his life. One of the defining features of David's life is that this will be a man who will be moved by the Spirit of God. And even after he sinned with Bathsheba, you remember the one thing he says that you can't take from me in Psalm 51. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The one thing I can't live without is the Spirit of God on my life. 
And so it's, it's going to mark his life. It's the Spirit's power that will enable him, that will give him the authority to, to fulfill the office that God places him in. Samuel rose and went to Ramallah, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. So you see the, the Spirit of God rushing mightily upon David, and now you're seeing the Spirit of God depart Saul. And we've seen the Spirit kind of come on Saul and then depart Saul. But the picture here is that this is kind of the God officially taking his hand off Saul's life. It's a sad place to be. It grieves our hearts, and God, God just kind of takes his hand off this man. And we've talked about this. He'll, he'll kind of, in an official, technically, he'll still be king. But God, in God's eyes, he's taken his hand off. The word of God will not be prominent, will not even be in his life to a large extent. We're going to see one other real and brief interaction with Samuel. But apart from that, Samuel will have no interaction with Saul. The word of God removed. The spirit of God removed. Listen to me. I, I can think of nothing more frightening than the removal of God's spirit and the removal of God's word from my life. And listen, it's a product. This is a product of Saul's uh, rejection. He has rejected God. He's disobeyed God. It's, we've talked about this, a sin with a high hand. In many ways, I believe that Saul, in many ways, is apostate. You can see a picture. I think this is my personal interpretation, but you can look at Hebrews chapter 6. This is a guy who, who, who's tasted of the things of God, experienced some of the power of God, as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6. But he's never truly been repentant. He's never truly been regenerate. And now the Spirit departs. At a depiction of really the doom of this man's life. And it's not like there's just a vacuum of emptiness there. Because not only does the Spirit depart, but what does it say? It says the Spirit of the Lord, or the, and, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. An evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And there's a lot of commentary on this. And there's a lot that I think we don't know. There's a lot we do know. We have to stick with what we do know. Um, don't know the exact nature of this evil spirit. Was it, was it a demon? Uh, we can't really be sure. But we know, because there's a lot of commentators as I read this, that they do a lot of exegetical and hermeneutical tricks to try to somehow get God off the hook. As if God's not responsible for this. Listen to me. God is responsible for this. They say it over and over and over. An evil spirit from the Lord. And you can, you can look at the Hebrew and you can try to do all kinds of crazy tricks to make it say something else that it doesn't say. But the important thing for us to see here is that God is sovereign. Listen to me. You've got to settle in your mind. Either God is sovereign or he's not. And God is sovereign over this circumstance. And he is going to use evil to achieve his purposes. Can God do that? Yeah, he can. Ask Habakkuk, another good minor prophet, who uh, the nation's in a really bad spot. And uh, 
Habakkuk says, what are you doing, God? All this evil and injustice in the nation of Israel, what are you doing? God says, I'm doing so, something so big it'd blow your mind. God says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians to bring judgment upon my people. You know what Habakkuk says? God, you can't do that. We're bad, but they're more bad. You can't use evil, wicked people to bring about judgment upon your people. You know what God says? Be silent, Habakkuk. Shut up, Habakkuk. You don't know what you're talking about. You see, God can use whatever he wants to use. Now, I think there's two things going on here. One is an act of judgment upon Saul and his rejection and his disobedience. And there's going to be this evil spirit. I don't know the exact nature of this. Although I will say this. I don't think this is some emotional state. I don't think this is some psychological state that he's under. He's just depressed. It's more than that. It says that the evil spirit terrorized him. You know that word terror? The root idea is that it strangled him. It choked him. That this is an evil spirit that is terrorizing him. And we're going to see this as we move forward in Saul's life. The guy goes crazy. He's mad. He's paranoid. He's going to try to kill David. He'll try to kill his own son, Jonathan. Later on, when the priest at Nob helps out David, he's not just going to try to kill the priest. He's going to try to kill the whole city. The guy goes mad. He goes crazy. And so God here, I believe, in an act of a judgment upon Saul, has brought this evil spirit that will terrorize him. But know this too. God is also working in the midst of this to bring about a circumstance that will maneuver David to just the right spot to be elevated to be king over the nation. Man, can God use evil and leave, leave nothing to chance in his perfect purposes and plans? Yes, he can and yes, he does. Here, God is bringing this evil spirit upon Saul and it's going to create a circumstance and create a situation in God's divine purposes. Because here's the, here's the question. David is anointed king. David is anointed king. And we're going to see, what does he do? He goes back to shepherding. And the question is, the guy's anointed king. How does he go from shepherding stinky sheep to the palace? How does he go from the pasture to the palace? How do we get from point A to point B? God says, just watch what I can do. David, the fact of the matter is, David really isn't going to do anything. God is going to work to elevate a man who will simply be faithful where God has placed him. Does God have ways, maybe you're here this morning, the plan's not working out according to the way that you thought it would. And you're saying, God, boy, I, uh, it's, this isn't happening, so I guess all hope is lost. I'll never get there. Does God have ways? Joseph, you're going to rule over your brothers. Well, he's a convict. Could Joseph have said, God, it's all over? No way I'll ever rule over my brothers now. I'm in jail. They're not electing many convicts these days. Does God have ways? Yes, he does. See, that's the thing. We, we think in terms of logical, uh, two plus two equals four, and, 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 and I got a five, and that don't add up, and so I guess it's all blown. Listen to me. We got God outside the box, and he can do whatever he wants to do, and we don't have to worry about it. We just have to be faithful. And that's what we're going to see in David's life. So, so God is creating a circumstance and situation in his sovereign divine grace to bring about his perfect purposes. 
Then look at verse 15. Saul's servant then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. So the servants see it. Something visibly is occurring here that they recognize. And they recognize that it's an evil spirit from the Lord. They see it as from God. Verse 16, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the heart. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he should play the harp with his hand and you will be well. He's got some servants and they recognize that this is an act of God. This is from God, an evil spirit from the Lord. But their solution to the problem is superficial. Isn't it interesting how many people in their life will encounter a bad situation and they may even recognize that it's the hand of the Lord and yet they will seek to find solutions in superficial things rather than dealing with the heart of the matter which is to repent of their sin and turn towards the God. Wouldn't you just love it if he had some servants who told him, Saul, you know what you need to do? You need to repent. Heart playing ain't gonna get it done, maybe temporarily, but if you really wanna know the grace of God in your life, you better repent of your sin and you better turn back to God. But they won't tell him that. We're gonna find a superficial solution. Now God, again, he's working all of it. We, we need a heart player. So verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play, the, uh, play well and bring him to me. Verse 18, then one of the young men said, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. Now, this is, this is amazing. David is out there and uh, just shepherding the sheep, and somehow word has gotten out. And they just so happen to need somebody who can play a harp well, a lot, some of your translations may say lyre. It was some kind of stringed instrument, probably more similar to a guitar that we would know today, but something like that. We, we need somebody who can play the guitar and do it well unto God's glory. And a guy just immediately says, I just happen to know somebody. Isn't that a crazy coincidence? I just so happen to know a guy. Word's gotten out. And listen to the description Listen to me, this is, there's so much. I thought if, this, if there's a message that ought to be preached to young men who want to be great for God, this is the text. This is the text. So young men, if you're here, you want to be great for God, right here's your passage. This is how you do it. Because here's a young man. David is too young to go out into battle. This is a young guy. Uh, we would have said, well, they would have said, we would probably call him a teenager. You understand, teenager is a modern term. They only knew boys and men. Teenager is a secular term. We created a situation to give them an excuse to be kids still. Uh, but you're either boys or you're men in the Hebrew mind, in God's eyes. So, but they probably would have said David was a boy, a lad. Uh, it made me think of uh, Proverbs 20, 11. How does a, a young lad distinguish himself by his deeds if his way is right and pure? Well, listen to David. Listen to the description. I think this is a beautiful description. It says he's a, the son of Jesse, but who's a skillful musician. He just likes to worship. When it talks about a skillful musician, he loves to worship. Uh, 
<laughs> I love this with David. David, we're gonna send him back out with the sheep. You've been anointed king. What am I gonna do? Go shepherd the sheep. Okay, well, that sounds good. Um, what else do you like to do? I like to sing and play the guitar. How should I do that? Do it well? For who? Who am I gonna play for? God says, for me. For me. Me and the sheep. Do you know how you become great for God? You become great for God in the quiet moments of loneliness where it's just you and God. God will not make you great in public until you become great in private with him. David just loved to worship. Not only did he love to worship, he was a, he was a mighty man of valor and a warrior. He was a man's man. This is a guy who'd take on a lion and a bear. He was training himself. He wanted to be a warrior. He wanted to be a patriot. He wanted to be in the army. He wanted to be skilled. This was a man's man. Do our boys need to hear this today? Be men and don't apologize for it. And you be a protector and you be a warrior. Oh, here he is. He's just a warrior. He's a protector. He's a patriot. And listen, this is the best one. Prudent in speech. Uh, a young man who controlled his tongue. A young man that you could see the spirit of God and how he talks. Doesn't it bless your heart when you see young men who who control their tongue and they speak well. Prudent in speech. And then it goes on and says, and a handsome man. Now, I've told you before, there is some discrepancy in the translation of this. And I do not pretend to be a great Hebrew scholar. But I have researched this again. And there's a lot of evidence to... Uh, to persuade us to see that this is not just talking about physical appearance. It's talking um, about demeanor, about how they carry themselves. Meaning this is a young man who's respectful to his elders. Uh, this is a, a young man who's respectful to women. Uh, this, this, this is a young man who he's... David, I often think of this when I think of David. He was an old man in a young man's body. An old man in a young man's body. And he was just respectful. This is a young man who says, yes, ma'am. This is a young man who says, yes, sir. He shows up on time. He's punctual. He's disciplined. Does a young man like that stand out? Oh, you bet. A young man like that, word will get out. But where did David do that? Was, was David passing out uh, his card to everybody he could? Hey, let me tell you what I can do. And I got some shepherding techniques I'm going to put on Instagram next week to tell you how good I am at serving people. You know those humble brags on social media? I'm really good with sheep. I'm really kind and I'm really good. But I want everybody to know about it because I'm really humble. And David doesn't do any of that. Do you know what David does? He says, I'm going to be the best 
shepherd I can possibly be. And I'm going to control what I can control, which is my attitude and how I respond to people and how I talk. And I'll let God raise me up when God wants me to raise me up. But here's a young man who's just faithful to God. The character of God just is exemplified in his life. And, and word gets out about him. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the flock. What did Samuel tell the nation? You have a king, he's gonna commandeer your children. This is what he's doing. He sends to Jesse, I need your boy. And so, uh, verse 20, Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine, young goat, sent them to Saul by David his son. He's gonna send a gift. Verse 21, then David came to Saul and attended him and Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. Saul said to Jesse, verse 22, saying, let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. In other words, he's saying, I, this guy's, we're going to move him from part-time to full-time. Uh, you, you really see this. It's amazing because David, he just goes out and shepherds sheep. He, he has, he's a man of character, integrity, kindness, prudent speech, respectful, faithful, Word gets out, gets a part-time job, just playing the guitar with the king. King likes him, just says, man, there's something about this boy. I like having him around so much, I, I think I'd like for him to be my armor bearer. It's gonna get a little further along and we're gonna say, man, this guy, when he's around, we tend to do well. I think I gotta have him in service. I think I need to make him a general. I think I need to make him a commander over my army. And isn't this interesting because two things are happening here. Number one, Saul, we know that David is God's choice. Now we see he's not only God's choice, he's gonna be Saul's choice. And Saul will, in, he will elevate the guy who's gonna take his job. Isn't that interesting? Now, he's elevating, but, but who is behind it all? God is. Listen to me, I, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what is going on in your life, but there's a lot of things you can't control. The, the more we live, the more we understand. There's a lot of life we can't control, amen? There's just a lot. We want to be in control, don't we? If you're a type A personality, you like to control everything, God bless you you're going to have a tough time. Because guess what God will teach you? You're not in control. Even when you think you're in control, you're not in control. But here's what I'll tell you. There's a lot you can't control. Control what you can. You know what you can control? Be a faithful worshiper. You get up every day and you spend time alone with God in the private place when nobody else sees you open the word of God, you hear his voice, you pray, you ask him to fill him full of your spirit. And wherever God has planted you, in whatever position, whatever place he's placed you, you be the best you can possibly be. If you're a student, you be the best student in your class. If you're a bagger at Price Chopper, you be the best bagger at Price Chopper. And you, listen, you be prudent in your speech. You be respectful in your behavior. You be punctual in your time. You be faithful. That's the kind of man or woman that God can use. 
And you may say, well, I'm, I'm right here. Listen, God has ways of elevating you at the right times and the right ways for his purposes. Well, verse 23, last verse. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart from him. I, I, there's a lot about this that uh, the commentators speculate and, and that's all that it really is, just speculation. I don't know why. And I do know I do know there's something about singing praises to God, isn't there? Isn't there something good about just putting on a praise song? The other day, uh, I was in the car and I, and I just turned on Shane and Shane and the hymns. How majestic is your name? And it was just a, in, in a, right there in that moment, I just needed that song. And it ministered to my heart. And listen to me, music has always marked the people of God. The people of God sing. And uh, something about that, I don't know. But God is going to use David in Saul's life to bring moments of reprieve from this evil spirit that is terrorizing him. And God is elevating this man who's just being faithful wherever God places him. You see, it's a sad descent that you see in Saul's life. And it's an uplifting ascent that we see in David's life. Do you know what I think? If you went to Saul and you asked him, where did it all go wrong? You ever see people that, man, they, the, the life, something happens, they, they fall into some major sin, immorality, and, and, and you just ask them, where, where did it all, where did it start? Where did it all go wrong? You know what I think Saul would say? I think he'd say, I wouldn't trust and I didn't obey. I wouldn't trust, and I didn't obey. Listen to me, some of you, I don't know where you've been or what you've done, but you're in a place right now of, of dissent. And it's primarily because you wouldn't trust and you didn't obey. Can I just tell you today, as long as you have breath in your lungs, there's an opportunity for forgiveness. There's an opportunity for redemption today. And all it takes is the grace of God taking root in a heart of faith. God is going to use David in a mighty way. Why, why did God, what did David really bring to the table? Can I just be honest with you? Not really anything. All he really had, if you want to give him credit for anything, is he had a heart that loved God. All that David has is a heart. 
Saul had no heart for God. I think if you ask David, where did it all begin? I think the first thing he'd say is God, because that's what he does say at the end of his life. He said, you don't know where it all began? God, just God and his grace reached down. But I think he would tell you, and this is what he does tell you as we're gonna move on, if there's any level of success, any measure of success in my life, it's because in those moments, I trusted and I obeyed. It's a simple message this morning. You can't live your life based on what you see with your eyes. You live your life on the basis of what God has said in his word. And even when it doesn't make sense, and even when it's all you know, trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray again, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that just as you did in David's life and your sovereign grace, would you reach right now into their hearts? I'm pleading with you, God, if somebody doesn't know you because we know salvation is your work. God, there could be somebody here this morning. There could be somebody watching online, somebody at Reach Church DeSoto, somebody in the venue service. Right now, you're speaking to their heart. They know it. They're seeing the depth of their sin. They're seeing the beauty of Jesus who humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and therefore God exalted him. God gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. I pray today they would bend the knee and recognize Jesus as Lord. They would give their life to him. They would trust and they would obey. And God, for those of us that do know you, I don't know where everyone's at this morning, but there could, could be some that are going some really struggling times. Maybe they got very discouraging news this week. They don't know what's gonna happen. They don't know how it's gonna turn out. I pray that they know today they have God outside the box. We don't live on the basis of what we see. We, believe, we live on the basis of your holy word. I pray that they would just write where they're at. They don't have to think about what's gonna happen in the future. They just have to today trust and obey. That's the beauty of this, Lord. I just pray that they would rest. They don't have to struggle or strive. Just, I just pray that they'd rest in your grace, rest in your sovereignty today, rest in your word, and they would cling to your promises. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name.